Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. everyone welcome to the healthcare hustle podcast today we are joined by the association of asian healthcare leaders a grassroots coalition of asian american healthcare leaders with the mission to create networking opportunities that increase leadership development and representation of asian americans in healthcare management policy administration and consulting elisa andrew eddie and jen welcome to the show thank you very much oh, thanks for having us yeah we're excited to be here for sure, for sure. So it's a big group. So um, if you all don't mind, and uh, maybe Andrew, just starting with you, uh, can we just introduce ourselves? Yeah, well, good evening, everyone. For those who are listening, we're recording on um, evening time. I'm Andrew Nguyen, and I am a second year administrative fellow with Kaiser Permanente. Um, grew up in California. My hometown is Roland Heights. Awesome. Eddie, how about you? Yeah, uh, happy to see everyone. Uh, Eddie Lai, uh, I am the administrator of the Emory Healthcare Innovation Hub in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, originally from South Jersey, right outside Philadelphia. And I've been at Emory since 2019, uh, before I took my new role in 2021. Awesome. I didn't know you were from, from the Philly area, man. I yep, don't know how yep, we yep. that yep. one. <laughs> I know, I know. We can talk about it. We can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jen, how are you doing? Hey, uh, well, hello, a healthcare hustle fam. Uh, my name is Jennifer Ho. I'm a first year administrative fellow at Johns Hopkins Medicine, recently moved to Baltimore, Maryland, which is uh, a lot colder than Houston, where I'm originally from. And uh, speaking of Philly, that's my second home. So uh, we definitely have to talk a little bit about Philly later on if we get a chance. Uh, but thanks so much for having us. Yes, absolutely. Shout out Philly. We won't use any slang on this podcast, though, because we want everyone to understand it. Uh, and Elisa, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks so much for having us, Winston. It's great to meet you and Brandon as well. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Elisa Na. I am a second year administrative fellow um, at the Mayo Clinic, uh, working out of Rochester, Minnesota. Um, originally from Denver, Colorado. Really honestly lived all across the country, though, and um, I'm now fin finishing up the, the, the fellowship. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens afterwards. Awesome. Awesome. So we just have a fire team, obviously, uh, with us, just exceptional, exceptional young professionals here. And uh, I guess we should really start with, you know, Al or the Association of Asian Healthcare Leaders. So maybe you all can speak to just the origins of the group, you know, kind of the thoughts behind it, and we can go from there. Yeah, awesome. I, I think Jen would probably be appropriate to start because I think she was the one who reached out to me first. Yeah, this is a kind of crazy how social media is such a powerful tool. Um, so I randomly messaged Eddie because he popped up on my feed. And from there, we had just um, an informational call. I was applying to fellowships at that time. And um, as we were talking, we all had, we both had the same story of growing up in a very uh, typical Asian American household, wanting to go the clinical pathway, uh, but then wanting to do healthcare administration instead because the clinical pathway was not really, really our taste whatsoever. And so from there, uh, we really uh, wanted to open up some type of organization for AAPI individuals in healthcare administration. 
And so shortly after, Andrew and Elisa joined the team, and uh, we have over a thousand members on LinkedIn, right? Uh, so yep. with our LinkedIn group, we started last year and it's been growing ever since. And it's been such a great opportunity to connect with other AAPI individuals and other allies uh, that may not see an active organization with AAPIs in healthcare admin. So that's pretty much uh, the, the gist of Al, but feel free to add on to that, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, uh, my perspective, you know, was just hanging out in my room, got the message from, from Jen saying, I think something along the lines of, hey, you know, uh, see you're active in the health administration world, also see that you're Asian. There's not many Asians that are not only active in the health admin world or, you know, pursuing careers there, but also are active on LinkedIn. And I think, you know, from our discussions, we were saying, hey, you know, I've been thinking about how there's just very few Asians in healthcare, um, in, in healthcare administration. And um, I've been part of some groups in the past that, um, you know, when I joined, I wanted to see more how I can get involved and um, just wasn't able to get involved the way I wanted to. And eventually we thought about doing this, this uh, panel, kind of this origin event was this panel on administrative fellowships. It's around, you know, that season in the summer. And we wanted to see if it was possible um, with another group. Unfortunately, it just wasn't at the time. But we said, hey, um, why not just try it ourselves? Um, and I think I had connected with Andrew separately, but it turned out that Jen also knew Andrew. And so when we went up to Andrew to recruit him, uh, he was happy to help and wanted to jump on as well. But I think even, I, I was like taking a look at our numbers earlier. I think we had almost 300 registrants for our first event. Wow. Um, and one of the things that we were able to utilize that I think makes us unique is um, utilize connections on Facebook and other networks that maybe healthcare administration um, as a, what do you, whatever you kind of want to call it, a field doesn't really jump into that much, right? And I think that plus word of mouth, plus LinkedIn and our connections all over the country really helped us kind of launch. And I think you could tell that the, the interest was there after that first launch because we've had a lot of repeat uh, members and people have been, you know, telling others about us as well. Yeah, and I just wanted to add, Eddie, such a crazy story that I always love to talk about in terms of Andrew and how I met Andrew. Um, <laughs> so I also did the same thing with Eddie, with Andrew, um, just messaging him on LinkedIn, had an informational call, of course, was looking to apply to fellowships. So I just wanted to talk to different um, fellows or former fellows. And um, the day that I got off the phone with Andrew, I was just scrolling on Insta, you know, typical IG. And I see a picture of one of my second cousins. And I and I think Andrew was in the picture. And so I reach out to him and I go, is this you in the picture? Because this is my, my, my cousin. This is my you know, family member, right? And he goes, that's my cousin. So we turn, it turns out that you know, we're connected on different sides of the family. So we're basically family, but it's just so crazy. Um, and this also just confirms how small the world is. That is amazing. Um, just, yeah, that's, that's crazy. I think, oh, wow. That's yeah. Spooky almost giving me chills. Um, and it's, it's funny because like, I feel like utilizing LinkedIn, um, and leveraging it just to make connections sometimes like is a missed skill, uh, for many folks. And it's just nice to know that something as big as Al, like started from a very organic, you know, point of you just reaching out just about fellowships in general. Um, and so I kind of want to pivot into the first question, because I think it's a good segue. Um, and this is, why is your racial or ethnic identity important to you in terms of your role as a healthcare administrator? And I just want to add on a little bit to that, because I know specifically when we, you know, reference the Asian American Pacific Islander community in medicine, 
oftentimes we will not, you know, count or categorize those folks on the clinical side as people of color or minorities because they are so overrepresented. That's definitely the exact opposite on the administrative side. Um, and it's not something we, you know, typically think about. So why is your identity um, important to you or significant to you when you are performing your role as a healthcare administrator? Yeah, take a stab at this one, Winston. I think you raise a great point that Asian Americans as a whole are over-indexed on the clinical side and under-indexed when it comes to management and administration. Um, I know a lot of times sub Asian Americans who are part of um, subgroups or who are, you know, don't like being categorized as a monolith might feel underrepresented on both sides of the equation, not just uh, on the administrative side, but also on the clinical side. And for me, um, being Vietnamese, you know, my grandparents were, um, didn't have access to healthcare when I was growing up and my, my dad had cancer when I was in college. And I always wondered, you know, um, there's so many Asian people in medicine. Why, why do we not have access? Why don't we have a lot of representation in the patient experience? And um, my experiences as a patient, as a family member, really inspired a lot of my research on, on Vietnamese Americans access care. Um, and from there, I learned that Vietnamese Americans had some of the lowest access to healthcare of all Asian American subgroups. Um, and this wasn't something I knew if, you know, it, it wasn't something I knew before my research and it wouldn't be something I would have dove into if it wasn't from that, this community. Um, so because of that, it really gave me some sense of purpose and something to aspire for and um, some motivation to be more involved in healthcare and healthcare administration. And, you know, I don't think I would have had that drive or that inspiration without um, knowing that insight. So I think having a background as someone who is Asian American and someone that's specifically Vietnamese American gave me more specific purpose and something to target um, in terms of impact I wanted to make in healthcare as a whole. Wow. Yeah, if it's okay, I'm going to go ahead and jump in. Andrew, you bring up a good point about, you know, this idea of subgroups. And I think it's, it's so easy for the larger community to forget how large the AAPI uh, group is. Um, AAPI folks represent more than what, what it's like 50 countries in Asia, Southeast Asia and the subcontinent of India. And so, I mean, that in alone is a huge diversity in thought and culture and experiences. And when you combine all that just to, you know, in the Asian category, you really lose a lot of that that essence that is captured in those different subgroups. And, you know, I think about this article that I saw over the summer, I, I sent it to our, um, we've got an all group chat, um, but I, I, I sent it there and it was, it was an article published by, I think it was CNBC. Um, basically, you know, it was basically talking about the discrepancy um, in the large number of Asian Americans that go on to pursue higher education. So we've kind of talked about this, right? There is a large representation of us in a clinical context and certainly a large representation of us in higher education, but there is um, that discrepancy when you do look into executive leadership. And of course, that's a little bit more exaggerated in healthcare executive leadership. And so while 60% of Asian Americans go to college and comprise of, I think it's like 12 to 13% of working professionals, um, only 6% of us um, actually represent, um, are represented in that executive leadership. And so why does this matter? I think this goes back to those subgroups, right? There are so many of us that come from all walks of life and me personally, right? I'm half Chinese, half Cambodian, also American. And so I have all these different identities and 
um, specifically for my community, only 4% of us um, have postgraduate degrees, both US and foreign born. And so in the context of healthcare, for me personally, that means that, yeah, simply put, I don't see folks like me um, in these positions that, you know, I'm hoping to pursue it at some point in time in my career. And for me personally, that means, you know, either sometimes I question what I'm doing, you know, because I don't see like a role model, someone that I can look after, some shoes that I'll, you know, eventually have to fill because they're just not there. And so oftentimes I have these internal struggles and dialogue with about like how much effort I need to put in to actually get my foot in the door. What is it going to take for me to actually get a seat at that table? And so that's why representation matters. It's, you know, it's so you can have these open dialogues instead of having these internal, you know, conflicts and, and reflections with yourself. But yeah, I think, I think just adding on to that, um, for me growing up, child of uh, two Chinese immigrants, um, you know, came here in the 90s. I think a lot of the pathways that I was told uh, was kind of what a lot of people considered the safe routes, which for good reason, you know, leading to good careers um, such as medicine, engineering, maybe a little bit of lawyering, maybe a little bit of business, but growing up kind of thought I was going to be a doctor. I, I think a lot of people in administ health administration think that uh, that's kind of the path, but they realize, you know, their skills are suited for elsewhere or they enjoy something else more, but still want to help people through that healthcare realm. And I think um, not being able to see someone, again, like, like Elisa and Andrew said, um, that looked like me or had my similar cultural background um, in a leadership role or in a prominent role in healthcare um, on the administration side definitely um, had me kind of searching for is this something I actually want to do? And, and when I first met someone who actually, uh, I got my master in public health, had an MPH and was Asian and Asian American, I, I kind of latched on. I was like, please tell me about like how you got here. I have no idea, you know, how to pursue this. And, the, you know, that is one of the reasons why we've made um, Al um, to be able to be, at least to me, um, I would love to be that person that I wish I had when I was, you know, in college or in high school or, in, or in, you know, even in early graduate school. I do think one thing that Elisa brought up um, is kind of in terms of, identity. Um, you know, I'm not from China. My parents are from China. Uh, I'm, I'm American. I was born here. But at the same time, sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm not American in some aspects because I, I might not look like what you would think. A, some people think an American looks like, right? And I think kind of that's the, the dissonance or kind of thing to navigate towards where I can kind of marry both the experience, but I, obviously I'm not fully Chinese, but I'm not fully um, kind of lived the stereotypical American experience, although you can argue that there's no stereotypical American experience. Um, but I think that that's something that even in the workplace, um, uh, I've learned to, I mean, we throw around the term code switch, you know, kind of, you know, navigate between what I'm used to communicating or how I'm used to communicating with, you know, let's say elders in the Chinese, in, in the kind of Asian community versus in the workplace, right, where you're kind of told more to be brash and open or, you know, confident in some aspects. So I think like, being aware of how that shapes me in my background, but also being aware of and being proud of, you know, who I am and being able to speak to my skills in the workplace definitely is kind of how I see that. See that. Wow. Um, Y'all all came with the heat. I mean, you know, both kind of just the, the personal, you know, story and the connection, but then also the statistics, right. Um, to make it really relevant and in our face. And, you know, and I have to say, um, when I first saw Al on LinkedIn, I was like, ooh, this is bold. Like, I love it. Like, what is this? Like, let's go. We need this. Um, just because, again, like, I'm all about these conversations. And, um, you know, I remember, obviously, 
last year, 2020, and even going into 2021, really calamitous for the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Um, and so, you know, what has it been like speaking up, speaking out, you know, being, you know, that vocal person where there may have never been before in any space, you know, how do you all deal with that pressure? Yeah, I think that's a good question because um, even with LinkedIn, there's just so many people on the platform. And even if you don't have many connections, there's so many people that may see your post. But I think at the end of the day, it's really just reminding yourself of your authentic story. And each of us, um, myself, Andrew, Eddie, and Elisa, we all share such a common story with being an Asian American. And uh, I believe our stories should be heard because with many AAPIs in healthcare, you really do see a lot of us on the clinical side, like you mentioned, Winston, but now that we are shifting our focus to healthcare administration, um, healthcare policy, consulting, et cetera, I think there's many other conversations that we can have with this next generation of incoming leaders. And that's why specifically with Al, we're targeting specifically um, high school students and um, university students. And we found that our biggest audience actually is within Facebook, which is kind of crazy to think so. So uh, there are numerous uh, Facebook groups that you can join, um, such as different um, Asian memes and et cetera. But these are actually ways that you can network with other like-minded AAPI healthcare professionals or even other business professionals. And so I think we really had to think of Al completely separate from any other organization and be unique to what suits our audience. And um, I think this really brings back to other organizations that we've all worked with, such as NASI, shout out NASI St. Louis, yes. um, and then also NALI. Um, both of these organizations have really been trailblazers and increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion within healthcare administration. And I think that's certainly what Al would love to do. I know personally speaking, um, NASI, I would not be here without NASI whatsoever. And so whenever you're thinking about speaking up um, and speaking out, you know, think about other individuals within healthcare that may not be an AAPI individual and see what they had to do, especially with within NASI um, and see how far NALI and NASI and all these other organizations have grown by telling their story. So I think personally with me, that's how I deal with the pressure of, of being afraid to speak up. Yeah. yeah. Go, ahead. go ahead, Eddie. Uh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go on and um, pass it to Andrew. I think, um, so for me, a lot of my friends are um, outside of healthcare. They just know me as, the the healthcare guy doing the Asian stuff and but it is interesting to your point this past year um you know one of my good friends he works in technology and consulting and he said you know your organization is on kind of the biggest news platform in the sense of like the biggest topics in the news these days you know um healthcare with COVID-19 um and uh you know the API um kind of on the forefront of the violence that has come as a result of you know different attitudes around API I'll speak to one example that um, it's one of those things, at least for me, I live in, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, I work there, Metro Atlanta is a lot different than what you might, uh, I'm sure Brandon and Winston, you both know, is a lot different than the rest of um, parts of Georgia and other parts uh, in the southeast of the country, but um, I was uh, helping out in our vaccine clinic, working, you know, 
6 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day for, you know, a couple of months. And I, I was sitting there one day and um, this person came up to me and, you know, they might just be well-intentioned or whatever, but I think they had come up to the desk that they weren't talking to me directly. And they said, hey, um, is this where I can get the, you know, the passport against the China virus? And I was like, man, like I'm right here. You know, I'm busting my butt to help you out. Um, and it took all, I had to kind of step away. Cause I was like, I, I'm working so hard to try to help you and like help your family and help, you know, your community be able to be safe from this virus. Like, um, and then, you know, they, that person didn't even acknowledge me. I didn't say that to their face, but it's more just, um, you know, that dichotomy again of being there, but also, uh, being there for the solution, but also some people might look at me and blame me for, you know, the, uh, the cause, right. Even though, of course, like none of us here had anything to do with it, um, and so I think to your point, um, being able to wrestle with that, um, especially being in Atlanta, as you know, uh, you might have heard on the news, the spa shootings were around, in and around the Atlanta Metro. And uh, to your point of kind of how I reacted to it and how I, um, you know, within the workplace or in general, I, I think I'd emailed someone um, from one of our hospitals, one of the HR people, I said, hey, are you guys going to make a statement about this? And I was trying to navigate that, you know not being too pushy, but still, I think like it was important because I think especially in some parts of Atlanta, there are some large uh, AAPI uh, communities and especially some of the people who were killed were from those communities, right? And so um, I was really pleased to see the next day that, you know, Emory Healthcare, um, I think the university as well, sent out a email saying, you know, if you were, we sent in support of AAPI individuals. That was the first time I think I have ever seen mm. anything on AAPI, at least at my time at Emory. Of course, you know, small sample size, but, um, and I think being able to say that and being able to, I think, bring awareness to our executives, I, you know, I always share that I, I help lead Al and they always ask me, you know, what is that? Like, why'd you start that? And I, I told them like, honestly, I, I just don't see many Asians, you know, in, in the C-suite or like in our leadership here. And I think like they recognize that we, we just hired a chief diversity inclusion officer at Emory Healthcare. But um, I think being able to speak to that, but while also being able to not just be a token Asian or like the Asian person, but being able to do my work well and, um, you know, perform well. And through that, be able to communicate better to the people that are around me. So I can hopefully influence some folks or be able to have them hear our stories. Yeah. I think Eddie said really well that our stories we think are important. And we also think it's really important to learn from others and their stories. Um, I wouldn't say that there's any pressure. We haven't been um, distracted by pressure because we've been filled with so much love from our community, from other communities. Like Jen said, we learned from Nali and Nasi. And it's been really humbling to learn from how they've blazed a trail and how they built a group. Um, and we don't get paid. So there's also no pressure there. This isn't <laughs> a job for us. This is something we're doing because we're really passionate about it. And all of our, our growth here is organic. So um, no, no pressure from what I've seen. I think just it's been so fun and so exciting to meet different people who have a similar mission, like the Healthcare Hustle podcast. Um, it's fun meeting other executives, entrepreneurs, you know, investors, different types of people from all walks of life that are really um, invested, maybe mo not monetarily because we're still not in that process yet, but you know, um, invested in other ways of supporting Al and supporting the mission for broadening um, representation and also um, equity in terms of like outcomes in healthcare. So we really learned a lot. I don't think there's been that much pressure, but it's been a lot of fun over the past year, year and a half. 
Yeah. Um, thank you both for, for sharing. And uh, Eddie, thank you really for kind of opening up uh, the conversation just even a little bit more um, so we can kind of get into the nitty gritty because definitely um, it, there's been so much just terrible things, honestly, that have happened in the last two years. You know, almost you, you forget, unfortunately, a lot of the tra tragedies and the spa shootings were definitely something that um, just shook, you know, my world and, and, and many people in my um, interpersonal circle. And, you know, to be quite candid with you all, I was actually quite disappointed overall, I think, with um, the, the response and, and the reaction internally. And I think there's just so many nuanced things within the Asian American and Pacific Islander community that you all you all spoke to anyway. Um, so, you know, it may just be hard for people outside uh, or don't necessarily have this lens to even be able to digest certain things. But I kind of want to talk, you know, more specifically about what it's like being an Asian American uh, of, uh, excuse me, fellow, right? Um, because I think, you know, for me, as a minority, quote unquote, or as, as a black or African American fellow, starting my journey was really challenging um, because I had this huge chip on my shoulder. Uh, and, you know, there was a pressure almost to stay away from diversity, equity, inclusion work when I first started my fellowship, actually. And, and I was getting some of this feedback uh, from executives who looked like me, you know, telling me like, hey, that may not, you know, be the space and you don't want to be, you know, tokenized. You don't want to be put into that position. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had opportunities connect, to connect with other individuals in particular um, who would categorize or identify as Asian American or Pacific Islander and, you know, talk to them about their fellowship experience and one concept that maybe doesn't necessarily apply for my personal experience, but I can imagine would put individuals in a tough spot is the model minority myth which is something that I, you know, wasn't as familiar again. And so I started talking to some of my own colleagues. And so I would be curious if, if you all had any kind of experiences with that, or just if you can kind of talk about, you know, some of the things that you started to notice as you were kind of, you know, caring and embracing your identity on your fellowship journey. No, that's such a good question, Winston, because I think the model minority myth has always been a topic of discussion similar to the bamboo ceiling. And so I think breaking down the model minority myth, you, it can just date back to whenever we were kids. I am not good at math whatsoever. And so growing up, I would always get so many comments. Why aren't you good at math? You're Asian. Um, so that's a microaggression that is um, pointed towards a model minority myth that all Asians are smart, um, that they have access to healthcare, that they have financial and health literacy, which is not the point at all whenever it comes to healthcare administration and trying to think about the social determinants of health. And so we actually had a webinar with three lovely uh, women who are executives right now, um, who are um, AAPI and um, with model minority myth. I think at times you, you zone out um, to reality of what it is at times. And so whenever you're, you're at work, you, you try to work your best and whatnot. And I think whenever, um, 
the pandemic really was at its peak with um, Asian American hate. I think that's when we really dialed it down and talked about these important discussions such as model minority myth and bamboo ceiling. Um, and so I think what we can really go from here is um, really just having important conversations with not only people that look like us, but um, allies um, to make them aware of certain trends and um, certain microaggressions that you may not realize. And so um, I think from here, that's when we can really um, progress with um, AAPIs in healthcare admin. Um, Elisa's jumping back in. Lisa, we were just talking about the uh, model minority myth, um, but I'll, I'll just piggyback off of Jen. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, a lot of, there are a lot of stereotypes from from media or from whatever people's uh, um, perceptions that they have around Asian Americans. Um, I'll speak to if you guys watched the movie The Big Short um, about the Wall Street kind of collapse. There was one scene in particular where I think they were doing something like a Jenga analogy, and they said, "Hey, this Asian guy's my quant. Like he's Asian. Like, um, and I, I I think I'm okay at math. But but besides the point, um, I think that uh with the cultural background and some of the things you know uh people might think that um and i think i, I honestly uh growing up thought sometimes i had to kind of fit in this thing where i um you know gotta be smart gotta be top of my grades but um in that kind of didn't allow me to be open-minded on pursuing other careers like i am now right um and didn't be wasn't able to see as many examples of people um, just because there weren't so many in, in some of these more entrepreneurial roles or um, these kind of more business leader thought, thought type roles. Um, but I think, you know, with the model minority, um, what hopefully shows that, you know, uh, there are TV shows now, there are movies that are showing that, um, you know, Asians are not a monolith, right? Just because you're categorized as Asian doesn't mean this side or the other. Um, you know, there's important cultural context that you're bringing, but, um, you know, we're not all the same. And I think people are slowly starting to realize that. And even in the workplace, um, I think people realize that, um, yeah, you, you might look like someone else that someone else might know, but you guys completely, completely different um, and have different skills. And that can be always complemented with, with others that around you. Absolutely. Um, thank you, all, uh, both of you, for the responses. Um, I want to pivot, and I know, Brandon, I'm not going to steal your, your question, so I'm going to just, you know, set this up, because uh, this was actually something that happened to me uh, when I was uh, an intern um, before I started my fellowship. Um, and uh, it's just a, a brief um, anecdote, um, and it was something that really stuck out to me, and it kind of aligns with, Andrew, uh, something that you had mentioned um, earlier about just not even knowing the nuances of specific groups. Um, and, and, and what they need in terms of services. So I remember I was, I was at this organization um, in this nursing meeting and um, one of the nursing leaders was talking to another nurse about the need for um, more translators and more interpreters because it, where I was, the organization, uh, that particular region just had a, a large or relatively large influx of Japanese Americans or, or folks migrating from Japan, excuse me. And um, one of the nurses was like, hey, you know, I have had a really hard time uh, dealing with uh, a few of these families because, you know, we just were having a hard time explaining diabetes and we don't have any, you know, interpreters or translators for Japanese. And one of the head nurses was like, 
Japanese people get diabetes? And my jaw just dropped. I was just like, was that just said in this meeting? And everyone kind of just kind of brushed it aside. Like, mm -hmm. And I was just like, what? Um, and so Brandon, I think you have, you know, kind of a, a question kind of around that, you know, like for the Asian American Pacific Islander community, you know, what are the kind of services or, 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 or things that we see, the, the, the critical needs? I know this is a broad, broad, broad question that we're asking, but I don't know if you want to have any more insider context, Brandon, but just wanted to kind of set that up for the group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, Brandon O'Leary, Executive Management Fellow at Washington University. Um, you know, similar to Winston, I was really excited around this idea behind Al um, and, and um, it's kind of talking about, you know, what Winston was, was touching on and a little bit what Eddie and Andrew was touching on, um, just the, the, the specific challenges around COVID and um, the, the climate, I guess, in, in the nation around maybe anti-Asian xenophobia and um, not even on that end of the spectrum, but also being on the front lines. A lot of the times you'll, find, you'll see AAPI um, individuals who are, who are on the front lines on, on, in regards to healthcare and they're, I guess, disproportionately affected by COVID. And I think one of the things I, I'd want to touch on, if, if you guys have the chance, um, just talk about the barriers, the challenges specific to healthcare leadership in regards to the AAPI community and the resources provided um, by, your, by your organizations to address those, those issues, those barriers on your behalf. If, if, there, if there is a lack maybe thereof, that maybe we could touch on that as well. Yeah, I can go ahead, Lisa. Sharp. I feel like I'm interrupting everybody today. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Um, I feel like this is where public health really comes into play in medical anthropology, right? So there's this whole idea of going into communities and serving them and providing these different services. But I think oftentimes what gets left out of that discussion is this idea of becoming a part of the community before you actually serve them. Because in order to actually serve them, you need to understand the people you are serving. And the only way you can do that is to actually become a part of them. Um, and so my background's in public health and, you know, it's been interesting, especially because of COVID. And I mean, this is certainly a silver lining, but being able to better understand where exactly public health fits in and what exactly public health can add is in terms of value to the field of health administration. I think in thinking about Mayo Clinic specifically, you know, this is certainly something that is, you know, an active discussion. And quite frankly, we are certainly not experts in this. And, you know, we've got campuses all throughout the country, Rochester, Minnesota, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Scotts, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, as well as Jacksonville and, and all throughout our health system. And that's, you know, very diverse demographics at each of those different sites. And so we're, we're still trying to understand that. And I think, you know, Mayo is, it is the number one hospital in the nation. And so it is kind of in their nature to want to go into these communities and provide excellent service, right? That's our mission. That's part of our vision and our values. Um, but now, you know, like a lot of other organizations, we are having these very public discussions and dialogue about what it actually means to provide value to a community. Let's not even talk about service, but value. You know, what does value look like? Sure, maybe that looks like service, but maybe it's, you know, creating like professional development opportunities. Maybe it's just going in and having a conversation with them. But really, I think what it comes down to is bringing those people in and having those meaningful, personal, maybe even face-to-face -face interactions. Obviously, that's quite difficult with COVID right now and um, the, the rise of the, the variant. But, you know, making a deliberate effort to actually put your face out there and not, you know, just throwing your name, throwing your brand on certain things, saying, hey, you know, where this organization that's going to come on this stage to provide free testing, like, 
that's not personable at all, right? And so if you, you know, kind of tailor the approach to kind of exhibit some of these other methodologies from public health, from medical anthropology, I think you have a much better way um, and you're certainly more efficient and effective in reaching these populations that you do effectively and ultimately want to serve. And I think Elisa raises an excellent point about the community. Um, something else that's important about connecting with the community is having the conversations with the community, especially about the diversity and demographic that each community is made up of. And, and that's something that I'm really um, grateful that Kaiser Permanente does on a consistent and deliberate basis. You know, I, I chose KP because I was really inspired by Bernard Tyson, the late CEO who was black and had you know, a really concerted focus on gun control, you know, things with the community, uh, healthcare disparities for members of ethnic minorities. And it really shows in, in our commitment to some of the people and um, personnel that we've hired, you know, 67% of our workforce is of ethnic minorities. We've invested over hundred million dollars in, um, in reducing systemic barriers. And you know, we've been, um, I wanna say on Diversity Inc's top 50 um, diverse companies for 15 years. So it's something that isn't just a, a one and done deal, but something that needs to be you know, measured in order to be managed. And um, you know, having these conversations allow us to develop more specific metrics, allow us to have more insights that represent the people in those communities that Lisa mentioned, and come closer to more inclusive solutions that allow everyone to have an opportunity to achieve you know, equitable health outcomes. So I think it really starts with engaging the community by having those quality conversations like we are having today. Yeah, um, kudos to, to Kaiser. I've heard great things about not only the internal workforce and diversity inclusion there, but also kind of the, the way they approach um, the communities that they serve, right? The diverse communities. And I, I do think functionally speaking, Kaiser also being integrated with their insurance and the providers and now education with the new school uh, that definitely helps when you think about how to integrate all the different seemingly incongruent pieces of healthcare that we all interact with, right? Um, I think to Brandon's second point on um, how, how do we see some of the factors that um, are barriers to seeing AAPI and, and leadership, you know, just uh, speaking to Andrew and Elisa's point, I also, I have my MPH, I could talk about public health and social determinants and some of the cultural stuff all day, but I think specifically to that second point, um, um, you know, one of the, there was a paper, I think, you know, I've referenced it in a presentation I had at Emory for AEPI month in May um, from maybe 04, uh, where uh, NASI, NALI, ACHE, and at the time there was a group called ACLA, which is a, um, a former uh, Asian American group that had started, you know, in the early 2000s, I believe, or, you know, somewhere around then. Um, they did some research and they did a lot of components on kind of what your first job in healthcare was, what your, what your undergrad was, what you studied, and one of the things was like a lot of API people um, kind of studied things that weren't, you know, didn't really study business or whatever. And so I think going to Jen's earlier point, I think, you know, exposure, education, that this is a viable path. Um, I've been meaning to speak back to my old high school, you know, the pre-med the pre um, club to say, hey, you know, I, I was pre-med at one point or I was pre-PA at one point, but this is still a path you can go that um, you can still help people and still make an impact in, in the healthcare realm or in general. Um, so I think uh, just adding on to that, um, education's uh, both for the communities, you know, the families that are raising these children or um, also people who are thinking about this but don't have a good role model. 
Um, and Winston, I'm reminded of our initial call, actually, uh, where you talk about pipeline versus pathway. And uh, just thinking about Al, we're really trying to build that pathway because as you mentioned before, you can build a pipeline, but if you can't build a pathway to the pipeline, there, there's no difference in even building a pipeline to begin with. Um, so I think what's really unique about Al is that the pipeline is already in place with many numerous organizations such as Kaiser Permanente, as Andrew mentioned, Johns Hopkins Medicine, et cetera. But now it's time to really focus on the pathway. And as Eddie mentioned with starting in high school, what's so unique about um, AAPI individuals is that we have to start at such a young age now to really expand um, the, their knowledge of healthcare administration. It's not enough to target students that are already in uh, graduate school. We've found that although we have learned so much from ACG, NASI, and NALI, our audience is completely different and we have to make sure that we're targeting them at an age where we can actually evoke change and uh, really show that they can choose a different pathway from a clinical uh, route. Um, and from there, then they can go to college, grad school, et cetera. Uh, so I think really differentiating between pipeline and pathway, that's been such an important aspect of Al. Yeah, and I'd be remiss if, you know, we didn't talk about the first podcast of Healthcare Hustle, because I remember there was a quote that resonated with me about how knowledge at times is more important than experience. And to, you know, quote Jen about knowledge, what we're trying to do through our experiences is to pass down any knowledge that we have to those who are coming after us. And we're still pretty early in our careers, um, but we've learned from a lot of executives that have a lot more knowledge than us. And we try to disseminate some of our learnings to those that are interested in the career in healthcare management, whether um, you know, they're wanting to go into you know, innovation or something more operational, we still wanna to cater towards them and use those specific channels um, to share that knowledge, like, like, um, like on, on Facebook or on LinkedIn or even Ladder. So those are things that we're trying to do to connect with the younger community. No, that's, um, it's awesome. And I think, you know, everything that you all said is, is super important. And I, it's just, it's cool to be able to be, you know, with you all kind of in this moment, because, um, you know, that's essentially what we are trying to do with the Healthcare Hustle podcast as well. You know, there's just so many dope, amazing executives at a certain level. Um, and, you know, it's like, where are you at? And how can we get access to you as young people who are interested in these careers and want to know about this insight, you know, how, how do we know? Um, and so this is definitely one of the, the platforms that we want to leverage. Um, and I think, um, you know, we're, we're coming on on time here. Uh, and, and so one of the more boring loaded questions, but I think it will be super relevant, uh, particularly for anybody who is just starting their journey out. Um, and for specifically for folks who identify with the Asian American or Pacific Islander community, um, do you all have any advice right? For, for folks who are just starting out on this journey, young professionals looking to kind of, you know, harness the energy that you all have with embracing your identity, being bold, and just making it a part of the conversation. What is that one, you know, golden nugget or gem that you would want to give to people listening right now? Uh, join Al. <laughs> just, <laughs> just I mean, I mean, yes, but no. Advice. Um, uh, I think, I, I, I do think, I mean, I, I honestly do suggest that in terms of being able to get plugged into a community that um, have people from similar cultural backgrounds or, um, you know, you might feel more comfortable depending on your background talking to. But I think um, what I found, and this is cliche, but and this could apply to anyone really, 
um, is that um, a lot of the opportunities that I found, including my current role or things I did at Emory, were things that I um, I kind of pursued or kind of took initiative for. And I think that's actually pretty uh, relevant to this conversation because um, a lot of Asian Americans, depending on their background, are told kind of not to rock the boat, play it safe, and to do some of the things that um, you need to do. You you gotta you know take some risks. There's some you know there's some chances you gotta make that you wouldn't have otherwise if you were to follow kind of the, the straight path, right? Um, but I would say that uh, what I've learned in my time, um, you know, both as a student and in starting this and doing other things in my career are that, um, you know, you'll never know unless you, you try and you ask. And I, I found that to be generally uh, helpful. And um, you also with that, uh, being aware of um, being pragmatic on, on what risks come with that too. But, um, but I think that for me, it's, it's, it's definitely yielded a lot of good things that happen, including um, being involved with some of these aspects. Yeah, I, I love what Eddie said about rocking the boat. Um, so what, what I'm about to say next, I guess, might rock the boat a little bit, but I say it specifically in the context of just professional healthcare advice for the AL and healthcare hustle listeners. I've always tried to live by the mantra of, you know, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Um, you'll never be qualified for some of the roles you go for. You'll never have enough experience. Uh, we didn't have any experience creating a LinkedIn community, and we didn't ask for any permission. We just did it because we thought there was a change that needed to be done in the world, and, and we did it. Um, we might not have done it perfectly. We still might not be doing it perfectly. Um, there might be some people we rubbed the wrong way. I hope not, but we might have. Um, but we we did it, and we're still doing it. And you know, the Asian American community can be very consensus-driven and very uh, respectful, so I think for people who might be um, who might be raised, raised in that type of environment, it's important to know when to have incremental pivots and know when to adjust when you're trying to um, achieve some things in your career. So yeah, rock the boat and know when to move quickly and without permission. If I say that strictly in a healthcare um, context, because that can be misconstrued. Um, I think the only thing I have to add to all of this is, um, you know, one thing that I think brings that brings communities together is this concept of right storytelling and of certainly family. Um, obviously, you know, throughout the discussion we've had, we've talked about our families and our upbringing all throughout these these questions that you posed. Um, and so when it comes time to, you know, start thinking about fellowships and other professional opportunities, you know, there is going to come a moment where you're asked to tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, and to that, I say, you know, don't be afraid to talk about yourself and your, your upbringing, right? We are the product of all those who came for us. We are experiences, we are struggles, we are um, accomplishments, we are, you know, milestones. We have so much to share and we have so much value to contribute to um, whatever industry we, we, we choose to pursue. And you know, I feel like a, a lot of times people are afraid to have those conversations and to talk about, you know, how they were raised or what their cultural background is like. But I think there's there's certainly a beauty in that. And that's what makes you unique as an individual. And so if you can, if you're willing to to share a little bit about that, I certainly think that's one way to really set yourself apart from others, but also to really have a meaningful impact and um, lasting impression on someone because the experiences you had have had are not going to be like um any of the experiences other folks have had and because again that's what makes you you 
Um, and of course, you know, I think that, you know, these discussions that we're having, they're so intricate and there's so many different layers and dimensions to them that it's really helpful to find a community where you can have these active dialogue and reflection. Um, and so whether it be all or another community that's similar, you know, I certainly think you should find a group and surround yourself with folks who, you know, are thinking the same things and are going through the same things so you can have that collective experience and, you know, kind of go through all that together. Definitely, Elisa. And I think this brings back a, a point that could be contradicting because we're talking about being advocates and we're talking about um, looking at people that are like-minded and that look like you. But I think at the end of the day, comparison really can be the thief of joy. And I'm reminded of a quote that um, I got from a Nazi women's conference where you're going to miss your exit looking at someone else's lane. And whenever you're going through the administrative fellowship process, going through the job application process, it's important to note that no one can beat you at being you. And so, yes, where we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and um, being with other, other leaders that are in high positions that may be AAPI, but at the end of the day, you have your own purpose, you have your own pathway, and you have your own pipeline. So at the end of the day, two things, Join Al and listen to the Healthcare Hustle podcast. Yes, best advice ever. I love it. Um, okay, thank you all so much for, for joining uh, the show uh, tonight. Um, just want to give you all the opportunity to plug Al so where we could find it um, online and, and just direct you know, any of the audience to, to join from there. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, uh, to Jen's point, listen to Hustle, Healthcare Hustle podcast and join Al. Um, you can find us a couple of different ways. Uh, right now, uh, the best way to join our 1,000 plus growing community is on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure that uh, you know when we when we kind of post some of the, the links for this later um, on on you know the marketing, I'll send the links over to to y'all to help out. But um, you know that's where we're posting a lot. People are sharing. You can also uh, find the link to join our group me, which is a little bit more intimate conversation where. At least for me personally, when I visit different cities, I, I meet up with some people from now on. I post pictures. Um, you can find us on YouTube. We've posted a lot of our resources that are for free there on YouTube. Some of our past panels on internships, um, fellowships, consulting, et cetera, um, on there for people to be able to see and also to spread um, more of who we are. Um, I'll, I'll let everyone else speak to other ways to potentially find us. You, you hit it right on the nail, Eddie. Um, and of course, uh, with many other Facebook groups, GroupMe, LinkedIn, uh, we really hope to go our presence in the university space. Uh, so be on the lookout for hopefully some more university chapters. Uh, we're in the process of launching a university chapter of AL at Texas A&M a University. Um, so I think this will be a good way to really grow that pathway to the pipeline. And uh, from there, we can even think about high schools. Uh, but thank you so much, Healthcare Hustle fam, uh, Winston and Brand, for just being such great people and uh, doing important work with DEI. Well, that's it for the episode. And we want to thank you for listening to the Healthcare Hustle podcast. Make sure to check us out each month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stay up to date with the Healthcare Hustle fam by following our page on LinkedIn. The marathon continues, so keep on hustling.